Jingophilia. Hello, fellow Anglophiles, and happy holidays, and welcome to the very first Anglophilia Christmas special. Woo! <laughs> I'm Kaylee McMahon. I'm Stephanie Callis, and oh my god, we are gonna talk about love actually, actually, of all actually. things. Yes. I love this movie, actually. I'm very excited that we're talking about this because this is, I think, the only thing that we've talked about on our podcast so far besides the young ones that our first time seeing it was when we saw it together. Yes, we went to the theater together. Yes. Oh, so much fun. So Love Actually is a 2003 Christmas-themed ensemble romantic comedy film, or ensemble rom-com, I guess, written and directed by Richard Curtis, yes. and starring most of your favorite British actors, who we'll, we'll name them as we go. There's 10-ish interconnecting storylines, all centered around the theme of love, kinda, again. Uh, the idea for this movie came to Richard Curtis when he was stuck at an airport in Los Angeles for an hour hour and a half and he observed all of the strangers around him hugging and greeting their loved ones and so that airport sequence that is the beginning and the end of the film that was the inspiration did he also happen to see uh little boys doing gymnastics trying to get through security <laughs> to hunt down their crushes or, or where do you think that came to him i believe he that is called artistic license <laughs> <laughs> um Oh so yeah, goodness. so Richard Curtis had a moment where he realized that love actually was all around and then and then went off to, to write this thing. You know, this is a movie that my thoughts about it have changed over the years, but my feelings have increased steadily. I have such an affection for this movie. I remember I saw an ad for it in a magazine before I even saw the trailer and I was so excited by the cast lineup and by the fact that it was Richard Curtis writing and directing that I ripped the page out of my parents' magazine and I stuck it on my bulletin board. So it was like one of those rare movies that I had a poster before I actually saw the movie. That shows a lot of faith. And I think because I had such high expectations when I saw it, I was slightly disappointed by it, but then it sort of grew on me over the years. And I think this is true for a lot of people. It's become an annual tradition and like a Christmas time staple. I actually watched it this weekend when I was visiting my parents. My mom and I watched it together. And I said, is this also like an annual rewatch for you too? And she said, oh God, no, it's way more than once a year. And I said, okay, good. Me too. Oh, it's really probably sweet. like three times a year. Oh, that's very sweet. But it is kind of funny when you get to see festive themed movies or songs sort of sneak into the the holiday forever like zeitgeist and this is definitely yeah. one of those movies and you know with the gift of of perspective and time and the internet there are many 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 funny think pieces out there about the things that are essentially very wrong with this movie oh yeah but I feel like what all of those think pieces have in common at least the ones that I've read is that the authors all still have an affection for the movie and it's very very clear exactly. that whether you're laughing with the movie or at the movie you're still happy to be watching the movie it's true yeah my feelings about this movie are my friend's feelings about uh, about Sex in the City. I am a lot more critical of it, but like she recognizes all of my very valid criticisms about the way in which it is offensive and problematic, but also still loves it. And that's that's how I and so many others feel about this uh, this sneaky holiday classic that has become part of the Christmas pantheon in our in our lifetime. Oh yeah. So speaking of the internet 
right before we were about to hop on to record this, Kaylee sent me a BuzzFeed quiz of which love actually character are you, which I took, and I have very mixed feelings about it. We're going to reveal our results when we're actually discussing the scenes that our uh, mm -hmm. apparently avatars appear in. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm excited to hear who you got. I think this is one of BuzzFeed's less accurate quizzes. <laughs> I have no idea what the hell that formula was for this. I mean, I took one that was like your favorite food is gonna tell us when you'll meet your soulmate. Oh, was yours never? Because mine was never. I don't even remember. I remember just looking oh. at all those gross-out close-ups of food. <laughs> We've also ranked uh. our favorite storylines, and that's how we'd like to go through the movie as opposed to scene by scene, because this this clocks in at like two hours and 15, right? It's actually 2.14, which is Valentine's Day, which is appropriate because it's about love. It's weird. This movie, while taking place around Christmas, has pretty much nothing to do with Christmas. Like, if you think about Valentine's Day is the love holiday. Christmas is really more about giving and, like, you know, spending time with your family and stuff like that. But, like, I don't know. It's No, I, I'm with you because only in this movie did I ever hear Christmas is when you tell the truth. Well, tell the truth. Or I also know, when you just spontaneously propose to people. <laughs> Sure, yeah. we'll we'll get to that. Yeah, the Chris. I didn't know that Christmas was a truth holiday. There's actually there's a line in a, in a Thanksgiving episode of Friends where everyone is insisting on telling the truth, and then Ross says, "This is Thanksgiving, not Truth Day." Anyway, that's a tangent. But so let's let's go in ascending order of love. Uh, so Stephanie, of the ten storylines, although I think it's debatable that these are all fully fleshed out storylines, some of them are more slight than others. But what is your Tenth favorite. Well, <laughs> my tenth favorite is um one that actually is not even a favorite. I think this is the only storyline that I actually don't like. I don't hate it, but I also just full on don't care. Is that fair enough to say? That's fair. I also want to just point out that you said the word actually several times. Something that my mom pointed out is she said, I think that everybody, maybe not every character, but everybody in a major storyline says the word actually at some point. And sometimes it's very noticeable, but sometimes it's not. And I sort of want to, we should, we should analyze later what we think it means, if it signifies anything, or if it's just a commonly used word that has no significance at all. Okay, great. That sounds fun, actually. <laughs> okay, so number 10, the point I'm making is that, you know, we're, we're going to say a lot of things about these storylines, and we're not going to necessarily pull any punches with the ones that are dumb, but I kind of feel like this is the only storyline that I don't enjoy, even on a ha-ha isn't that silly level, and it's Juliet and Mark. I was surprised that that was not my 10th, but okay. amazingly, there was at least one more that I disliked more than that one. I wonder if your 10th is my 9th, but I guess we're going to discover that in a few minutes. We will find out. So Peter and Juliet and Mark, they are... She would tell Ejiofar, very underutilized in this fucking movie, by the way. I know, right? And Kira Knightley uh, and Andrew Lincoln as newlyweds and their best man slash stalker of the bride. Yes, they're not <laughs> so... they're not newlyweds in a thruple. That would be a much more interesting storyline. Yes, respectively, no. The Peter and Juliet get married in one of the first scenes of the movie, and Mark is a fucking creep. Talk about that. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, they get married in the beginning of the movie, and it's very sweet. Mark orchestrates an orchestra and singers to come sing All You Need Is Love in a surprise performance at the end of the ceremony. And you don't 
hear too much from them for a little while, but in the little interactions that you do see Mark and Peter have, it's implied that Mark and Juliet, the new wife of his best friend, don't get along. And Juliet gets on the phone with Mark one day and says, hey, all of our wedding video footage is crap. It's all turquoise. I noticed you were taking quite a lot of video that day. Can I come check out what it is? And he's like, uh, no, I lost it. But then she shows up unannounced at his apartment one day and says, oh, hey, can I see this stuff? Here's the VHS. Why don't I just pop this in? And when she sees that it is all close-ups of different parts of her face, she she kind of starts to look a bit, I don't know, like she's having this epiphany, he's in love with me. But I swear, Kaylee, if it weren't for the music being oh. romantic... Oh, I have several other moments like that in this movie. If, if, <laughs> if the music were just like doom ambience and her yes. face, it would be like, and this was right before she was murdered. This could so easily be recut. In fact, later on in the big romantic gesture of not just this storyline, but maybe the movie, it's one of the most iconic things. Like when we think about love, actually, we think of that visual of him holding those cards with where he's written out messages. He has... A picture of a corpse and pictures of supermodels cut out for magazines. He's he's a serial killer, you guys. Like this you know, is... I, I have way less of a problem with the cards as I do with the filming her secretly. Did you notice him filming her at the reception? It shows her in a little group of people and then it pans over to him and he's got the camera trained on her and it's somehow even creepier to like watch it happening in real time when you know what's going to happen later. Yeah. And like, it's so, you know, it's not just that, oh, he happens to have filmed the whole wedding looked on her face. Like he... He edited that footage. It is in slow motion. Like, he he put time and effort into that video. You cannot tell me he does not touch himself to that tape. Oh, exactly. What the fuck else is he going to do with it for real? And also... Sigh longingly. Did, did, <laughs> did you catch... This is a nitpicky thing, but not really. Everyone in this movie is wearing insanely large fucking turtlenecks. <laughs> I think this movie was sponsored by Turtlenecks. At the end of the wedding video where the bride and groom are leaving, they're on a boat, okay, either mm -hmm. on the Thames or like the freezing cold ocean. <laughs> I, it does, I assume it's the river, but regardless, she is in a crop top in December in London. Yeah. Does, have, you ever, have you ever thought about that? That really is. Technically, well, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be December, it would be November because it's like five weeks to Christmas. Okay, bro. It's still like... probably pretty cold. That's a valid criticism. <laughs> At <laughs> nighttime on the water? Like, g give me a break. And even so, I mean, everybody's wearing a turtleneck from the first shot of that movie, really. Mm -hmm. There's many turtlenecks. So and, many turtlenecks. And so then, you know, the little very romantic scene they get together is where he knocks on their door and she comes and answers and he has these cards that he's holding up with his last little message of love to her. And it kind of bothers me that he keeps saying, I love you, because the one thing we know about their relationship is that it's antagonistic and cold. They don't speak to each he other. He doesn't talk to her. That so is not he love. Doesn't, that is he doesn't love creep. her. He's just kind <laughs> of into this 18-year-old person. She was 18. And then he kisses her. Yeah. Or no, she kisses him and he says, enough, enough now. And that's like the one good decision he makes. So anyway, that's my yeah. number 10. No, I, I completely understand that. It's creepy and the whole like sort of stalking from a close distance. The reason that it didn't make my number 10 slot, the reason that I bumped it up a little bit is that 
as much as I don't want to admit this, I find his storyline just a little bit relatable as far as like having a crush on somebody and keeping it all inside and not doing anything about it. I mean, I think that the gender dynamic makes it very unsavory that that there's that sort of feeling entitled to her and the like grand romantic gesture that doesn't really place her feelings anywhere to like what he should have done is just say, hey, I'm sorry, I hope that we can be friends. He doesn't need to declare his love without hope or agenda. Yeah, right. Yeah, I just want you to know. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Also, when I was counting actually, I, I tried really hard to notice every time that a character said the word actually. And Mark, he works in that gallery with all of those weird sort of funny nude pictures with the random Santa hats. And like that was clearly, I'm pretty sure that the artist meant for them to be funny. But at one point, he's on the phone and he, there's some people laughing in the gallery. And he says, actually, they're not funny. They're art. And I'm like, fuck you, you pretentious dick stalker. Go go home. I don't, I don't like anything about you. No. So uh, Kaylee, what's your number 10? My number 10 is Sarah and Carl. Okay, that's my number nine. So there we go. Even though it's not as problematic as the other one, it is the stupidest one. Like objectively, this story makes no fucking sense. <laughs> and you were saying before that, you know, with different music, Kira Knightley looking at like in horror and realizing that it's all over her face. There's that shot where Sarah and Carl, Sarah, okay, Sarah and Carl, played by Laura Linney and Rodrigo Santoro, they are co-workers, and she has had a long-standing crush on him for the two hours and however many days and minutes. She knows how many fucking minutes she's been in love with this guy. And so, so does her boss, though, which yes, I don't yes. like at all. No, I know. He, he, he'll he come up in another low-ranking story. <laughs> but yeah. um, anyway, the boss, Harry, Alan Rickman, calls her into his office and implores her to do something about it because, again, it's Christmas, and I guess that's when you randomly confess your love or go after people. But anyway... She's, she's had this long-standing crush and not done anything about it. She just has, they have like the, the they, it seems like they've never had an actual conversation. She's working late and she's looking at him in this like creepily lit shot. And she just says like, good night, Carl. And I swear to God, if you just took away the tinkly romantic music and replaced it with something dissonant and eerie, you would have a psychological thriller on your hands. She is also a fucking murderer. And she's friends with Mark. And he's also friends with the creepy German secretary, who I'm sure we'll get to soon. It's like, did they all meet at creep school? Wait, what is their wait, deal? Wait, wait. She's not friends with Mark. Yes, she is. She, she at the asks, wedding. She asks him at the wedding, are you in love with him? But I thought that was like their awkward first meeting because she's an odd duck. Well, okay. I thought that they I thought that they were friends because I mean, I don't know. At least they have mutual friends. I'm sure their paths have crossed. I don't know. Well, they they were That's both That's a really actors. fucking weird thing to say if you've never met someone. <laughs> like Oh, I know, but she's a very weird person and no you kidding. think that if they were friends, she would know that Mark is not gay? I don't know though, but if he keeps all of his feelings inside, I I don't know. The point is that she and Mark, I think, could be soulmates because they're really creepy and they keep all their feelings bottled up inside and with different underscoring, they could both be serial killers. They could be like a serial killer power couple and I would frankly watch that movie. I don't disagree on that at all. And yet, at her company Christmas party, Carl asks her to dance and then it is on like Kong. Like no questions asked. Why does Harry put all of the pressure on Sarah to make the first move? Like what are what about Carl's feelings? Does Carl have feelings? Carl is such a lump. He's an attractive lump, but he has no discernible personality. And actually that quiz that you mentioned before, I made both of my parents take this quiz and they both got Carl and I don't know how because his only personality trait is that he has none. That is fantastic. I mean, did, did they both choose calamari or what? He's like barely a character. I don't even know what that is about. He's, he makes he makes no sense. He's like, it, it stinks that, okay, so, so I said this is my least favorite storyline. 
And it sucks that this is the one storyline that has a female at the center, and it is, in my book, at least the worst. But, like, he is as poorly written as most women are. Yeah. Where it's just like, oh, suddenly you show interest, and even though I've also been working with you for two years and we've never had a conversation, sure, I'll take you home and fuck you on Christmas, because that's what Christmas is all about. It's the fact that he suddenly shows interest when it seems that maybe previous to the night they tried to hook up, they had never even had a conversation. Yeah. That kind of took me by surprise. He takes her home, he goes upstairs, they start getting it on, and her phone keeps ringing. And this, I feel, is just a very mishandled... This is the dumbest This is just very movie. mishandled. This is... this. She keeps getting phone calls from her brother, who is literally institutionalized for being sort of vaguely super insane and she's on the phone with him while she's still straddling strapping tan carl and she's saying to her insane brother i I know i'm using the word insane they do not give him a diagnosis otherwise i would use a proper diagnosis i'm i'm not trying to label he doesn't have a proper diagnosis. he's movie insane because he's He's talking about getting the pope and john bon jovi to do an exorcism that's what i'm saying (laughs) i feel like that was really distasteful i'm like wait your brother is at the point where he's calling you randomly about trying to get john bon jovi to perform an exorcism there is why does he have a phone? Yeah, he has unfettered 24-hour access to a telephone when he's so violent that he can't have an unsupervised visit with his sister, who is presumably the only person that he has in the world. But, like, do the doctors not help? Do they not oh, talk to... Is he I just know, left but, alone but in then, a room with a phone all day? We don't even know, technically, as viewers, that he's institutionalized at that point. She says to Carl, I'm all he has... I don't mind having to take care of him, but, you know, it's complicated and you kind of go, all right, I guess. And then when it's the reveal that he actually has 24-hour supervision, you go, whoa, you're not taking care of him. You happen to be in the same country as him. And why and are you taking in his that phone country calls, when but you're But you do American. not have to pick up the phone right now. It seems like she's using this, or maybe just the screenwriter is using this as an excuse not to get close to Carl. Because clearly, at some point, presumably this brother must sleep. Like, he can't be calling her all the time. I know that there's, like, a joke, or maybe not a joke, but a point made in several of those scenes at work where it's like, oh, you're mobile. Like, she she gets a lot of calls. But she also did attend that wedding, and as far as we know, her phone didn't ring during the ceremony. We see her talking at the reception, but, like, I'm assuming she turned it to silent at least for, like, a half an hour. She could right. do that to have sex. Exactly. (laughs) I mean, she made it to the Christmas party, so... It's really... Yeah. (laughs) But here's my thing, too. So we don't see them again for a while until it's actually Christmas Eve. Actually. And they are both fucking working late. So Carl is a weird loser, too. Yeah. He happens to be a good-looking man, but it's like, dude, you you here, too. What are you doing? And (laughs) and they have kind of an ambiguous, like, good night, Sarah. Good night, Carl. Oh, how sad. Oh, it's ambiguous. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. And I, I don't care about that one either. But but that one makes me angry, which is why I couldn't give it number 10, because I do care an iota. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just... Ugh. Yeah, they both just give up so easily. It's hilarious. Uh, 
anyway, yeah, that's that's the one for me that it doesn't really have any moments of joy. Most of the other ones do. There is actually, no, I take that back. There's one really adorable little moment when she's in her flat, which I totally want, by the way. And she does her cute little happy dance that was in the trailer. And she's so lovely when she's happy in this, but her character just has to be such a mopey downer. And I just, ugh, I, I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy Sarah. And she had to show her boobs. I know, for no reason. For no reason she had to show her boobs. <laughs> just to emphasize how blue Carl's balls were unnecessarily from this oh. I did not mind his little black panties. (laughs) I did not. (laughs) I'm glad. glad. Okay, so so you said that that was your number nine. That's my number nine. Okay, so my number nine is Harry and Karen and Mia. Okay. Which is Alan Rickman and Emma Thompson as a married couple and Heike Makach as the temptress secretary. I don't know. She's some German actress and I probably butchered her name. Please please say that again. Heike Makach. It's M-A-K-A-T-S-C-H. I don't speak German. Whatever. And, and, and you pronounce that as Heike Makach. Makach. What? What? What's, what's I didn't make up her name. I'm just trying to pronounce it as best I know how. I'm just I'm just laughing because there are several old dudes in this movie who can hike a mycotch, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh god, speaking of old dudes and wanting to Okay, so it pains me to put this storyline so low because it actually has I think my favorite actors in it. Alan Rickman He's the only old dude that I've ever loved, like, in real time. I've loved a lot of old dudes when they were young, but, oh, Alan Rickman, I've been in love with him since I was 15, and he was mm, 55. R.I.P. Yeah, no, R.I.P. But, yeah, this... So, okay, I think that as as much as I hate Mark, we all know my feelings about Mark, everyone in this storyline is the worst. There's no one to root for here. I mean, the slutty secretary is obviously terrible, and then Alan Rickman... As the creepy boss, like, not only does he maybe have an affair or maybe a semi-emotional affair or at least a necklace-related affair that it's yes. never quite clarified, but, like, he doesn't even seem to like her that much. He reminds me of Mark in the room where he's just like, ugh, he's so put upon. Like, I just saw you. What are you talking about? Okay, thank you for putting it that way because this Heike Makach will relentlessly really kind of sexually harass her boss, Alan yeah. Rickman, at the office, and he will grimace at her and go, eh. like, he doesn't <laughs> he doesn't seem interested at all. Yeah. He just seems to sort of be going along with whatever she says, which I hate. <laughs> I hate yes. that almost even more than if he were like, I'm down, you know? Yeah, well, it's like, it seems sort of non-consensual. It's, it's weird. It's like the women in this office have sexual feelings and the men are just kind of like, okay, you're a vagina and you're there. I guess I yeah. have to. But also, but he's creepy because, you know, he he calls Sarah in for that meeting. So already like creepily interested boss who's like overstepping personal boundaries. And then there's that terrible line that I totally never noticed until I watched it this week when he says like talking about the Christmas party, like tell the girls to avoid Kevin if they want their breasts unfondled. It's like, no, tell Kevin not to fondle girls or better yet, fire Kevin's ass. Don't have a Kevin at your workplace. Agreed. So like this Mia character, like she comes by it, honestly. Clearly this is an office where all kinds of, you know, anything goes. She fits into that office culture 
perfectly. But Karen is sort of the the victim of this not quite love triangle. Mm-hmm. But she is actually the worst of them all. That, that may be a controversial opinion because, oh, when she's crying to the Joni Mitchell song, it's such a powerful performance. Yes, but what is the first thing that we see her do? I have it written down. She hangs up on her grieving friend who has called her saying, I'm sorry to bother you, but I don't know who else to turn to. And then she says, horrible moment. Can I call you back? Do you know what the horrible moment is? Yes, you know I she's do. Doing? She is standing in her kitchen and carrying a single green pepper. <laughs> I mean, uh, the funeral hasn't even happened yet. This is a very fresh widower. She's probably been dead for less than a week. I just want you to know, Stephanie, that if you are ever widowed, God forbid, and I am in my kitchen holding a pepper, I will, I will put it down for you. That is, that is how deep my love for you as my friend is. Like, it's not even a two-hand situation. She's not even like taking a casserole out of the oven. There are no appliances. She's not chopping. It's she's what, not holding a baby she... while chopping. Seriously, no. I'm glad you brought it up because I did notice that first thing. And P.S. Liam Neeson is acting the shit out of this movie. Oh yeah, he's wonderful. He's wonderful in this movie. And um, I'm glad you brought that up too because here's here's the thing. I'm, I'm gonna tell you where this subplot ended up on my list. Okay. And it's actually the one I feel the worst about. Oh. Because it's higher than I want it to be, but it's just kind of an accident. Oh, okay. And again, I feel like I ended up putting these in order of how much I care. Oh, interesting. Well, it was kind of, a, it was unconscious, but for as correct as you are, again, I hate Makach. I don't know what she's playing at. I also yeah. don't know why she's only trying to book a venue for the company Christmas party three weeks before the event. I think that's <laughs> some bullshit. I hate that... She seduces her boss kind of just by being overly aggressive and he just goes with it. So I hate him for literally Mm -hmm. risking his life as he knows it for someone that he has lukewarm feelings about at best. Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah, I mean, for Karen to be such a dick to grieving Liam Neeson within minutes of the movie beginning, unforgivable. And yet, because I'm just like on the edge of my seat, it found its way to my number four. Ooh, that is that is scandalous. And again, I don't feel good about it. That was the one thing that I was like, I don't know if this makes any sense, but I don't know what I would swap it with because I've never actually I've never done this exercise. Yeah, no, I I haven't either. I really I you guys I agonized over these rankings. Basically, I knew what my bottom three were and what my top one was. It was like a reality show. Everyone else was like, you can leave the runway. You're safe. I don't know. I'll sort you out later. Yeah, I kind of feel like eight through four. I didn't know what to do. But yeah, um, yeah. But again, you brought up Karen being the technical victim of the story. And I think that if it weren't for Emma Thompson's phenomenal acting in the scene where she realizes that the necklace that she saw Alan Rickman come home with was not in fact intended for her. If it weren't Mm -hmm. for her acting in that segment, this would be so forgettable and stupid and just be like that weird subplot with the secretary dressing up as Satan at Christmas because that's what people do. Yeah, who dresses up as a devil? I mean, sure, if that were Halloween, fine. You could put on a sexy Santa hat or even be a sexy elf, but why... Like, I don't know. I feel like they were pushing the symbolism of the femme fatale just a little too hard there. Oh, yeah. I mean, she'd already (laughs) pulled the the basic instinct move where she says, full of dark corners for doing doing dark dark deeds. deeds. Yeah. (laughs) Here's my dark corner for you, Alan Rickman. (laughs) He's like, "Eh, I mean, who could blame her? But still, 
Yeah. No, yeah, it's it's so weird. Like, I want to side with Karen because I love Emma Thompson so much. And true love lasts a lifetime, as she says. But the first time we meet her, it's the opposite of a save the cat moment. She stabs the cat. She completely does. But you know what one of my favorite stupid subplots are, but it's like a subplot that doesn't even count, is, is the fact that she's randomly Hugh Grant's sister. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. And I love that the first time we realize that is because... She watches his press conference on TV and thinks, oh, I bet if I call him immediately, he'll be available for a quick chat. He's only <laughs> just finished this massive international press conference with the president of the United States. I mean, imagine if he'd been carrying a pepper, too. Then he would be really just have his hands full. <laughs> totally busy. Yeah. Another thing that makes her terrible. Okay, so she has another terrible line when she's consoling her grieving friend Daniel and says, get a grip. People hate sissies. No one's ever going to shag you if you cry all the time. Even if you're joking, fucking don't. This message brought to you by toxic masculinity. Thanks, Karen, you piece of garbage. Yeah, I mean, highly inaccurate. I would fuck the brains out of sensitive crying Liam Neeson. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Anyway. Sadness can be an aphrodisiac in its own way. I mean, that's that's how my parents got together. Maybe I shouldn't tell that story on the air, but... Uh, but it's a fun fact. <laughs> anyway. Oh, another thing. I had mentioned in the uh, Blackadder episode that Richard Curtis has a running theme along all, all of his movies where he has, like, stupid people named Bernard. She refers to her son as my horrid son Bernard, which seems a little unfair because he's, like, in elementary school. Like, how terrible can you be when you're that age? You're a bad mother for saying that. Fuck you, Karen. Everything about you is the worst, except for your acting. But that's only because of Emma Thompson, not because of anything in the writing. I know. I mean, if she's holding a pepper and it's awful timing, goodness knows what her very young son has to do in order to be considered horrible. You know... Who knows what he no. did. If she loves Joni Mitchell so much, then why doesn't Alan Rickman know who's singing the song that is playing? Like, wouldn't he have been exposed to her by this point? And also, why wouldn't she already own the CD that he gives her if she's such a big fan? And she mentions, you know, she's the woman who taught your cold English wife how to feel. Well, you know what, Joni? You didn't do a very good job. <laughs> Let's let's not blame Joni Mitchell for any of this. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna blame Joni Mitchell. This is, she she's blameless, but like eh. You raise a good point though. <laughs> yeah. What is your what is your number eight? My number eight is Peter and Juliet and Mark. My number eight, and this is not because I think it's bad or stupid, but I was just never particularly invested in Sam. Oh, okay. It's it's cute. This is Liam Neeson's stepson. Played by Thomas Brody Sangster. Who he is now alone with as his wife has passed away and he's got a young stepson and so it's like he's got to learn how to become this single parent to this kid that he did not technically father mm -hmm. and he's very worried because Sam's always locked in his room you know thinks oh is is he horribly suicidally depressed and grieving his mom no turns out Sam is in love with what's her name Joanna Joanna from America played by Olivia Olsen who has redonkulous pipes yes no she does a great job Every, everybody's great I have nothing against this plot line it's just very very sweet and it mm -hmm. appears on and off again and that's kind of it for me I liked it more when I was a teenager I'll put it that way yeah, interesting. I um I was surprised by how high that ranked on my list. Actually, that was my number four. Oh. So as I said, like my middle six 
we're just like in this big jumble and I, I came up with this whole complicated like numerical system where I assigned a certain value to like ranking them by the likability of the characters and the emotional weight of the stakes and the general concept of the plot and like major bonus points for excellent musical numbers and major penalties for like really problematic uh, you know gender stuff or, or fat shaming and what have you and yeah this ended up at number four because honestly, I think that it's Olivia Olsen's fantastic performance of the Mariah Carey song at the Christmas concert that single-handedly shot this to my number four slot. Because it's like, it's another one of those most iconic moments of the movie. And it's like this beautiful climax where all of the stories are kind of coming together and tying the threads. And that's, that's like the highlight of this plot for sure. And I also like that it's one of the only stories in this movie that doesn't focus exclusively on romantic or sexual love. I mean, it, there is the, there is the sweetness of the schoolboy crush and everything, but there's also the difficulty of dealing with grief as a, a newly diminished family and finding your role as a step-parent suddenly, you know, means a lot more without your wife there as the connector. And, uh, and you know, the funeral scene does make me well up. I think it's very sweetly done. It's like some of the, it's like some of the most sincere dialogue when you're hearing somebody talk about loving someone. I don't know. <laughs> and the kids are really sweet. The airport chase scene is dumb, but it could have been dumber as, as you alluded to before, because in the deleted scenes for this movie, he was originally supposed to be a gymnast and evaded the security guards at Heathrow by like doing backflips all through. And what's really funny is that they realized that this was stupid and cut it from the movie before they actually were able to like use the digital effects to make it look like it was a kid doing it. So it, they've got like a someone who's clearly an adult doing these like crazy gymnastics. So it's like his legs get really long and then he's a kid again. It's pretty fantastic, actually. Yeah. I mean, I will say that if I could pick you know, half of these subplots to be a full-fledged 90 minutes, I, I think that Sam and, and Liam Neeson would be on my list. I think they'd make a really sweet, like, about a boy-esque mm -hmm. full-length movie. But I feel that the Liam Neeson character's art gets sort of neutered the second Emma Thompson's, like, shut up, I don't have time for you, stop crying. Yeah. And I feel like his emotional arc is sort of eclipsed by how cute Sam is and how we're just sort of rooting for Sam. I, I know what's happening there. We're seeing this relationship between yeah. stepfather and stepson unfold, but I kind of wish that one had more time to breathe. Like, I feel like they give other subplots with the bigger stars a little bit more time than they give that one. And yeah. um, that's why for me, it's not as memorable. Yeah, no, I, I get that it could have been better. And I was honestly, I was surprised by how high it ranked on my list. But again, it's that fucking song. Like, this movie is best when it's musical. There are three great moments that stand out and we'll see where they rank on our lists as they come up but <laughs> damn all right so that was my number eight did did you reveal your number eight yeah my number eight was the the stalker and the newlyweds so okay. what is your number seven or should i do mine oh, you seven? go first because i think that i just went first on the number okay eight. great okay so yeah. my number seven is colin god of sex okay this is chris marshall as a cater waiter whose lack of success with the ladies in london prompts him to book a flight to america and try his luck there see i want to specify that my first three on this list or my bottom three rather were the ones that I was like, eh, I don't really like these. But from here on out, I love all of these stories. And the only reason that this one ranked so low was the stupid numeric system that I came up with for myself. It's a slight story that, like, of the remaining subplots, there's the ones that are sort of heavier and, and have more emphasis, like the Prime Minister, and then there's Jamie and Aurelia, and then there's Daniel and Sam. And this one's sort of a smaller, more lighthearted romp. No real emotional stakes. Colin is also just a very problematic character, and, like, the actor is very charming, and... What I love about it is that ugh, I feel so embarrassingly pegged as an American Anglophile. 
Because those girls at the Wisconsin bar who are so imp easily impressed by an English accent, like, it really is that simple. We are that easy. Some of us are that dumb that we will fall in love with you if you say the word bottle, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so he is a creep, but I can forgive it because it's so funny and it's so accurate. And the scenes with all the girls where it's like the, the one-upsmanship of hotness as they all enter the door of the bar. Like, it's, it's a fun one. I like it. So, um, guess what my BuzzFeed results were. Colin? January Jones. <laughs> I didn't even know that she was considered a character. I mean, I know that her name is Jeannie, but she's indistinguishable from all the other ones, except that she's like, maybe the lightest blonde. I don't know. <laughs> this is the great, you got Jeannie. You're a master flirt and you don't wear pajamas. You often force people with non-American accents to say weird words for your own enjoyment. Well, maybe that's true. Actually, I most identify with the girls in the bar. I mean, I don't go out to bars and, and pick up handsome British strangers, but that's who I feel the most kinship with in this movie. Um, I feel I feel seen <laughs> by that subplot. Um, oh, I forgot to mention, mine was Juliet which was weird. I didn't write down what the thing was, but it's like, you have terrible taste in pies, but you're like sweet and loving or whatever. It's like, she also doesn't really have much of a character. And I've never been the victim of stalking that I know of. So you got Juliet? I know. It's still a better result than Carl because she's like on the poster and has more than one scene. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, as I was watching that bar scene, I wrote down in my notebook, why aren't I more bothered by this? Because he's traveling for the sole purpose of getting laid. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at it, I'm going, why aren't I bothered? And I thought, because I've seen so much worse in sex comedies where the guys try to get laid so oh, they yeah. pretend to be other people. Otherwise known as rape, legally. Seriously, you know, it's like, we've seen, you know, goofy men in comedies do so much worse to get laid other than simply travel somewhere and walk into a bar. That's how I get laid. That's the only way it can happen for me. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, you know, even though, yes, it's a dorky dude, mm -hmm. I sort of feel that the playing field is, is a little bit more evened out. He's not gross with these women. They approach him first. And then yeah. he's kind of in this weird polyamorous thing with them through to the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. So no one, no one was harmed. Yeah, that's the thing. Because I also wondered why I wasn't more bothered by it. And it couldn't just be because like, oh, you sure do know what American girls are like, Richard Curtis. Well played. It's not that he travels to another continent to get laid. He travels across the continent to find women who want to have sex with him rather than trying to push the women back home like unimpressed Julia Davis the the caterer Nancy <laughs> like rather than you know he has these like cheesy stupid pickup lines that are maybe inappropriate but like you can tell that once he gets a single no he backs right off mm -hmm. you know some people really are just bad at making the first move and so once he is in a place where people can hit on him then like the contact has been made and he's fine he doesn't resort to being creepy it's no. just that he wants to be pursued rather than pursuing. And I get that it's probably very exhausting to have to constantly make the first move and be rejected. So yeah, good on you, Colin. You found you found a bunch of sex positive women and you got their consent clearly, very enthusiastically. It's all good. Um, we need to talk about something else in the Colin universe because my number seven mm -hmm. is the body doubles. Oh, okay. And before we go into that, Colin and the body doubles are connected through the character Tony, <laughs> <laughs> who, 
who seems to be able to teleport and traverse time and space. He's at the wedding and he's at his job at the same time. Yes, in in the opening of the movie, you see Tony. (laughs) And look, I second-guessed myself on this one. I googled it and there are... There are internet things about it, and I thought, okay, thank God. I never God. noticed that. That's so funny. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> where is the first time that he time travels? <laughs> he does it, like, three times. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah, wait. So we see, so, so these body doubles, Jack and Judy, they are being filmed mm-hmm. in this beautiful bedroom set, and they're clearly the stand-ins for the lead you know, actors. And so Mm -hmm. throughout the movie, you see them in these different compromising situations as they Mm -hmm. have to simulate these sex scenes that the lead actors are eventually going to do, but they're the stand-ins. Right. And acute romance forms. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that when I was a teenager Mm -hmm. and I had never been naked in front of someone, I thought that this seemed like incredible and a great, (laughs) like a dream way to meet someone. (laughs) Yeah, I remember loving it too when I first saw it. Yeah, and now I'm kind of going, I think I'd be maybe a little bit freaked out if a dude at work were fondling my boobs and then asked me out. I might be a little bit pissed off about that. To be fair, he fondles your boobs and then simulates sex and then simulates oral sex and then simulates the other kind of oral sex and then asks you out. This is true. But Tony (laughs) is working on this film set and he will come and give them direction and then it happens two times where literally like immediately before or immediately after he's just talking to Colin like in a van and then it cuts and then he's on the set or he's talking to Colin right outside of the wedding that takes place in the beginning and then you think oh is he also a fellow waiter slash caterer oh no cut there's Tony on the film set this happens so many times it's it's fantastic Uh, that's really funny you know we haven't gotten to Rowan Atkinson as Rufus yet, but in the original script, he was supposed to be sort of like a magical Christmas angel type figure. Maybe Tony is really the angel because he clearly has magical powers. He does. I, I feel like the Rowan Atkinson Christmas angel thing comes through. Yeah, it's ambiguous. It was supposed to be more overt, kind of, like, but it got toned down along with the dropping the gymnastics and other such smart okay. decisions. But okay. I really, I really like Jack and Judy. I find them very sweet. Martin Freeman and Joanna Page just have such cute chemistry. Like, I think that it's, again, one of those sort of slight stories. It's not something that you're hugely emotionally invested in, but I think it's kind of perfect. The concept is really hilarious and cute. Theirs is probably the cutest of all of the meet-cutes in the whole thing. And while, yes, with my adult brain, I'm a little bit more like, oh, like maybe sexual harassment on set, but clearly they're both comfortable with their bodies. They've done this before. And it's really, it's cute how shy they are and how awkward they are. And it's a, it's a fun, I, I like it a lot. It ranked pretty high on my list. Okay. So what is your number six? My number six is Rufus. Speak of the devil or speak of the angel, I suppose. Okay. My five and my six switched places at the last minute. I. It's not that there's, I mean, the, Rufus is perfect. I, I love him a lot. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just that it was too slight of a storyline for me to give it a ranking in the top half of the list. I was surprised when you told me that you read that he counts as a subplot. I thought I had come up with that all on my own because of my raging lady boner. Stephanie, were you the one who wrote the Wikipedia article? Did you edit it in order to uh, accommodate said boner? With one hand. (laughs) 
<laughs> while you watched a slow motion tape of his wedding that you filmed. <laughs> Dude, guess who is older? Rowan Atkinson or Liam Neeson? Shut up. Only by a handful of years, but yeah. Okay, wow. See, if if Johnny English had been a little bit more of a serious action flick, perhaps Rowan would be killing it in the gym every day too, just like Liam. (laughs) Fascinating. But yeah, no, Rowan Atkinson is totally perfect in this. I also was surprised that this counts as a separate storyline because really, to me, it was always, with the exception of his little tiny appearance at the end scene in the airport, you know, it's couched entirely within the Harry, Karen, Mia story, which was honestly the not having Rufus as part of that storyline was what made it false. So like that, that would have redeemed it a little bit, maybe bumped it up a slot. But the jewelry wrapping scene is just so delightful. Yeah, it takes place when Alan Rickman is trying to purchase the gift for the secretary while he is Christmas shopping with his wife. She's going to go nip over there to look at something else. And he's, he's like, so oh, now he's there's plenty of time. Oh, don't, oh, don't, don't do this, no. And yeah, the, the person behind the jewelry counter is Rowan fucking Atkinson and this I have to say it's so fun refreshing because it's an actual bit it's not just funny dialogue and you know quippy Mm -hmm. banter like this is a physical bit where the stakes are very very high and he's taking his sweet time doing Mm -hmm. weirder and weirder things yeah wrapping this gift when he like breaks the lavender in half oh yeah smushes it in his wrists and like lets it fall into the bag but it's so much more than a bag it's really good it's so well done and the, the music in this movie is so good like you said there's like there's real tension in the score you feel oh no oh no emma thompson is coming back any second like even though you know it's just a romantic comedy like I shouldn't be worried about this like it, it is it is a very emotionally effective little tiny vignette and it's uh, it's really fun mm-hmm. and and then at the end when he obstructs the security from seeing the little boy running around like I you know that's the Christmas angel sort of hint is like he shows up at the last minute and tries to buy time for yeah oh absolutely I I like both of his appearances very much they they definitely add a lot to the storylines that they intersect with also real quick question what do you think of the actual necklace dude it ain't shit yeah right what is it just like a gold heart with a little ruby in the corner of the heart it's really it's really basic and stupid and ugly but also like I kind of want it just because it's in this movie it's like (laughs) it's like uh, I hate it but I also it's like the blue cheese of necklaces you know like gross but maybe also give it to me (laughs) here's the thing Kaylee if you're gonna have a necklace in a movie after Titanic you better (laughs) kind of think about that one yeah but here's another thing we and we keep going back to this subplot because there's a lot going on when she calls him and says, like, so are you going to get me anything for Christmas? And he goes, uh, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, do, you, do you need staplers? Like, he's, he's, like, he's like not down. And she's like, I don't want anything I need. I want something I want. Something I want pretty. something pretty. <laughs> Uh, and, I, and I'm going, okay, and he, he picked, like, a solid gold clunky-ass thing. Okay, great. I mean, I wouldn't be that impressed by it if I were her. And then she, like, puts it on while she's, like, dressing for bed, which is kind of weird. Like, she's wearing lingerie, and she's like, ooh, I'm gonna put on my necklace now in my flat by myself. I don't know. Okay, now, in a corner of the internet, that is interpreted as proof that he came over, gave her the necklace fucked her in that bed that is now unmade and then bounced 
Okay, see, that's some, like, between the lines, like, Tess of the D'Urbervilles level kind of... See, I always assumed that they had sex, too, but only when I watched it in the last, like, four or five years did I think, oh, maybe they didn't, because they never explicitly explain anything. No, I never assumed they had sex. I always assumed he was just kind of a bumbling idiot who was maybe getting a slight thrill out of someone flirting with him, and he took it too far because he could afford it. Yeah. And really hurt his wife in the process. Yeah. <laughs> but but then I'm kind of going, but if that's true, why did she send him away at Christmas, which is why he's coming back to the airport a month later? Well, did she send him away? We don't know. I mean, it could have been a work trip. Again, in this world, when bad things happen to people, you can just piece the fuck out to Provence and like go to a cottage and amazing <laughs> things happen there. Yeah, but man. more on that later. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Anyway, God bless Rufus, the magical Christmas angel slash jewelry counter salesman. Uh, what's your? You can put five? it in my Christmas box Ooh. anytime. It's so much um, more okay. than a box. My number six, Natalie. Oh, okay. This is a big one because we've got Hugh Grant in it as the prime minister. <laughs> as the prime minister, look again. I can't stress enough that past like number eight. I like all of these, mm -hmm. even though a lot of stuff bothers me. Oh, sure. I like it. So we've got Hugh Grant as the prime minister who falls in love with one of the members of staff, Natalie. Played by Martine McCutcheon. Who I did not clock when I was 17 that they are 16 years apart. I, I did not ever really quite clock that yeah. because we're just sort of used to that sort of shit. We, but anyway. We totally are, yeah. Yeah. Gorgeous beautiful woman who's repeatedly fat shamed throughout the movie which is that is some bullshit yep <laughs> i'm not into it he quote falls in love with her when he meets her because she is the most beautiful young white woman in the room <laughs> and there's this friendly repartee he doesn't do anything too inappropriate it's like all under the kind of whatever he's not necessarily you know taking advantage of his power but you know who is, is El Presidente, <laughs> Billy Bob Thornton. Stephanie is dancing right now. I just want to let all of our listeners know that. Continue, please. Can you remember how funny it was in that reveal that it was President Billy Bob Thornton when the president was literally George W. Bush Dude, at the time? The political stuff in this movie, as, as slight and stupid as it is, it hurts so much because I never fucking thought that I would be nostalgic for the Bush years, but my god give me back w and dreaming of something better oh seriously so we've got like this president billy bob thornton who's kind of like a bill clinton but it's billy bob thornton it's 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 amazing yeah <laughs> but like slick slick willie slick billy rolls into town and i i wrote this down i'd like to read it they have this meeting with like the americans where they're trying to make up political business. <laughs> this is the dumbest meeting I've ever seen. In a... they're do oh my God. They're doing so... international business stuff and <laughs> they're preparing and Hugh Grant, you know, someone says, this is our first really important test. Let's take a stand. And Hugh Grant says, right, I understand that, but I've decided not to, not this time. We will of course try to be clever, but let's not forget America is the most powerful country in the world. I'm not going to act like a petulant child. Oh, for God's sake, who do I have to screw around here to get a cup of tea and a chocolate bar? 
biscuit. Yep. That that is the big preparation the night before the meeting, and then like Billy Bob rolls into town, which is fucking hilarious. Oh my God. And he's got this meeting with you know these UK. Is it Parliament? Are they in Parliament? Uh, no, 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 no. No, I think it's his. It's his cabinet. This it's is his cabinet, right? And so this yeah. guy, not not the president, but this American member of Billy Bob's cabinet says, absolutely not. We cannot and will not consult on that either. We don't <laughs> know what that is. We have no idea what that <laughs> what is. What do you think? They put my ideas into practice. I make the bank tons of money. It's exactly... They don't even have any nod to political jargon. It's the most generic movie business meeting i love that shit i eat it oh up. no the one nod is when billy bob says well oh because 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 one of the british guys says well that is unexpected and the president says well it shouldn't be the last administration made it perfectly clear we're just being consistent with their policies okay so administration and policy well done <laughs> and i just thought was that ever a thing because it's certainly not a thing now to uphold a previous administration's policies now you pretty much like blowtorch that shit publicly and brag about it on Twitter. Yeah. Well, it's possible that like the previous administration was his party. Okay. But we've got President Billy Bob and President Billy Bob kind of checks out Natalie. What does he mean by did you see those? Does he say pipes? I said earlier that 11-year-old Olivia Olsen had a great set of pipes. I was referring solely to her vocal prowess. If that means something different in Britain, I want to be clear I was not objectifying a child. I don't know. Right. I've just never heard of that in my life. And then he and Hugh Grant are having their like post-meeting meeting and Hugh Grant leaves for... 30 seconds and comes back and President Billy Bob Thornton has Natalie in a compromising position where she looks visibly freaked out by what's happening. She does oh, yeah. not look delighted to be having her neck sniffed by the president. Hugh Grant leaves the room for like 10 seconds and then Maybe in that 30, time yeah. Natalie is is sexually assaulted by the president and rather than saying like are you okay or talking to her or like anything he just has a, a like dick measuring display in front of a press conference to shame the president and then fires the girl that he was all upset about in the first place like what this is why this was actually my number five a lot of points were docked because of how fucked up the whole thing is it's only redeeming qualities are the fact that they are so charming and they have such good chemistry and the dancing my god the dancing's great yeah, yeah. major bonus points were awarded for hugh grant dancing around that's like again one of the maybe top three moments in the movie and so this is what made me force it to the top half of the list at dear rufus's expense yeah my other favorite bit of fake political jargon is at the press conference where t to the press President Billy Bob says, we got what we came for, and our special relationship is still very special. It makes it sound like he had sex with the Prime Minister. <laughs> it does, which would be my favorite subplot if that actually were one. Oh my god. That would be, that would be my number Write one. Write some fanfic sure. and send it to me. It's kind of funny that they went with like more a Clinton-esque president than a George W. Bush president although i guess that makes sense because one of them is way more exciting well i think that he was supposed to be sort of an amalgamation because i think politically this was sort of like a way kind of dumbed down watered down version of like escapist fantasy 
for British people, I'm sure, in the same way as, you know, the West Wing was for us during the Bush years. Like, they wanted a prime minister who would really stand up to W and right. not just, like, roll over and, and agree with all of the terrible shit that he was doing to the world. I think that he was meant to be, like, politically terrible. And, and you know, I... I don't know anything really about the personal life of George W. Bush, but I would imagine that most presidents have screwed around. Bill Clinton just got caught. I heard if I shag you, you'll give me a chocolate biscuit. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> that dumb motherfucker. Oh, All right, yeah, so so my number six is Natalie. Anyway. <laughs> but no, there, there's so much. Everything about the actual storyline is wrong, from the superior falling in love, quote-unquote, with his subordinate, and then punishing her for things beyond her control, and just, just everything about it is handled so poorly. The fact that the very last line of dialogue in the movie is him fat-shaming her after the first thing that we learn about her personally is that her last boyfriend fat-shamed her. And again, she's not fat. Not that that makes a difference. Don't fat-shame anybody, especially not someone that you love, but like, ugh. Yeah, that is the last line of the movie is, God, you weigh a lot. Actually, to be fair, her, the last line is her saying, oh, shut up, but or shut your face. But still, that's not quite enough to undo the damage. This is not aged well. But for everything that is wrong with the storyline, this got bumped up for the... There's so many delightful moments in it. Like, obviously, Hugh Grant's dance is one of the highlights of the movie. The octopus in the car at the end is, like, cute. never not funny. I can't take my eyes off of that kid stealing the scene by doing nothing but being, like, tired and in a little octopus suit. The shot of them kissing at the Christmas concert with all of the confetti as the as the song is ending. It's just a really solid storyline if you just ignore the facts of the plot of it. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yes, you know what yes. I mean? And even his excuse to kind of flirt with her a little bit he's like i don't know anything about you and i feel like that's a little bit elitist so tell me about yourself and you're kind of going he is not going to turn around and say this to the old women who work for him he's going to go ahead and be perfectly fine being elitist when it comes to them yeah but he'll he'll totally use this line on the young cute lady yeah yeah. Well, I mean, at least that's like a good human way of getting to know someone that you have a crush on as opposed to being like, a beautiful muffin for a beautiful lady. Like, you know, he's, he's got, he's a little smoother than Colin. Yeah, it's true. But I, I, I don't like the guy, un, under the guise of not wanting to be elitist when we know he couldn't give a shit. He just wants an excuse to talk to Natalie. That's more of what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I, I, I do get that. But also, unlike the president, he doesn't just want to fuck her. His love goes to, like, he, he actually does like her. Theirs is maybe, like, the second cutest meet cute of the movie, I would say, because you can sense there's a real rapport between them. Like, it, the, the fun little, oh, I fucked up by cursing, blah, blah, like that. That's a nice little moment. And you can see that there is a spark there. It's not just, oh, I'm looking at you and you're beautiful and we're going to have a really male gazy POV shot of your body from your feet to your head. I don't know. I could. I think that if you if you have a crush on somebody because you like the way that they look, but you also want to get to know their personality, there's nothing wrong with going about it in a sort of roundabout way. Well said. Thanks. Uh, so so my <laughs> number four then. Are we up to number four? I said my number six oh, was you, Natalie. Oh, right, yes, so I think we're four. on your five. Oh yeah, that that was my five. Your number six was my number five. So what's your number five? Oh, and my number five was Colin. Colin, right, so, right. Okay, so moving right along. What's your four? My number four, as I said before, was Daniel, Sam, and Joanna. Your number four was Harry and Karen and Mia, if I recall. Yeah. Weird. Okay, so now we're in the top three, guys. Ooh. Oh my god. What's your number three? Um, it's 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 Rowan Atkinson. <laughs> of course it is. Here's the thing. His scene behind the jewelry counter has always been one of my favorite scenes in the movie, mm -hmm. even when you and I saw it together. Mm -hmm. And 
even in the theater, it was like so exciting when he turned around and it was him and you went, oh, oh my God, yeah, this yeah. is going to be, this is going to be great. And I'll just never forget seeing it for the first time and actually being really invested in stupid ass Alan Rickman trying to buy this damn necklace and really wanting him to not you yeah. know it really meant a lot at the time and yeah I was always gonna try to find a way to sort of sneak this into the list and then when you said hey I guess according to something I read that technically counts I thought oh good <laughs> and um I guess it's also because if we're counting it as a subplot there's nothing problematic about it it's purely funny and purely feel good mm -hmm. and perfectly executed and there you go. Yeah. Again, if it were just a scene within the Mia, etc., that would only elevate that one. But sure. since it's its own, it is it is flawless. What is your number three? That's great. My my number three is Jack and Judy. So then that means okay. we have the same top we two. It's that high up. I said before that I, I couldn't really find any fault with it. I found it really delightful when I was a kid. And you know, and they're they're just both so charming. And, uh, you know, it, it, like I said, I had my weird ranking number system and like it, they just happened. They, they squeaked by with a with a victory. So, yeah. Here's a question. Why are they at the airport? Um, aren't they greeting someone? Probably. Someone says, why are you here? And Judy simply indicates her brand new engagement ring. Oh, um, maybe they're at arrivals. Oh, they're, they're at arrivals. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> maybe she just wants to show off to everyone entering the country look i'm engaged it's a weird Perfect. you know it's just one of those things where you got to get everybody all together for the finale i don't know but i but i do love the airport bookends so much since we're not really i, I don't think we're going to talk about the airport that much i did want to say one thing which is just that first shot when we've got that lovely Hugh Grant voiceover talking about love and everything. Like, it's, it's such a sweet opening to the movie. And then, you know, the, the montage of all of these things. I was like, this has got to be candid footage of real people, right? Because no extra in the history of the world is that good at acting. Even real actors aren't that good at acting. And I found out that, yes, indeed, they secretly filmed that at Heathrow. And then when they saw something that they liked, they would run up to the person and be like, here, sign this release, please, and be used in the movie. Isn't that sweet? Oh, that's very sweet. Yeah, so the, the love that, that looks so genuine is, in fact, genuine. Oh, that's great. Yeah. My number two is Colin Firth. Mine too. I knew that we would have the same number one. <laughs> but first, yes, Jamie and Aurelia, Colin Firth, and Lucia Moniz as a writer and his housekeeper. This is another one that I kind of feel like I could watch a whole movie of. Mm -hmm. I think that it was really kind of... It, it was different. It, like, you know how... Like when you learn improv, mm -hmm. how every scene eventually in high school anyway devolves into, no, wait, but I'm in love with you when you try to like build a relationship like on the fly. <laughs> but it's the way you get there and it's the backdrop of the scene that can make it interesting. Mm -hmm. And not not even improv, but like everything you watch, it's like the best stuff is always going to be about human interaction but the stuff that mm -hmm. makes it different from what we've already seen before is what's going on around the characters that we've come to care about. And so you have Colin Firth being 
so wonderful to his girlfriend as he is mm-hmm. on his way to Kira Knightley and Chiwetel Ejiofar's wedding. She is so sick mm-hmm. and all he's doing is telling her, I love you and I love you so much even when you look disgusting and you're sick. Did I mention I love you? And she's like, get out, loser. And you think that she's saying it affectionately. But between the the ceremony and the reception, he comes home to check on his girlfriend because he's a <laughs> grown-ass real man in his fucking turtleneck. I know. And his brother's there. And his brother, who is not hot, is just like, <laughs> oh, I came to look at your CDs. And Colin Firth is in the middle of suggesting to his brother, hey, we should go visit our mom. Oh, I know. Because he's a perfect I'm man. I'm so right now, you and, guys. And his, his brother's like, what'd you say? <laughs> Tell me. I just said I'm so wet right now. I'm not really. I'm just saying that... <laughs> No, but I am. Okay, fair enough. But but his brother's like, oh, sounds fine. Boring, but fine, because he's a turbo cunt. And and then from from the other room, the girlfriend's like, oh, come on, big boy. I'm naked, and I want you at least twice before Jamie gets home. And it's it's just so heartbreaking. This this wonderful man doesn't deserve that. I think that she and Mia, the creepy secretary, must have, like, met at evil woman school <laughs> just went to, like, how to be a terrible vixen well and you know what what my question is too is so we don't know necessarily what colin first relationship to kira knightley is but at the end of the movie they clearly know each other mm-hmm. i know that he's at the wedding yeah but then they also know each other at the airport so it's like this girlfriend was probably invited to that wedding as well yeah but just thought no, that's actually a perfect opportunity to stay home all day screwing your brother. It, it's like... That, that has premeditation written all over it. That is some first degree adultery. It'd be one thing if he were invited to a wedding and she wasn't. And he, for whatever reason, thought, oh, that's fine. I won't even try to bring you as a plus one. Which he would never do mm-hmm. because he is a perfect boyfriend, even in those turtlenecks. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, it'd be one thing if he had an event, but it's like you didn't want to attend that event. Even to keep up appearances, you could screw the ugly brother. I don't know. That's just kind of an extra layer of E that I don't really get. <laughs> yeah, this story has a weird start, but oh, it's it. I'm, I'm really happy that it's both of our number two. It's so sweet and so romantic. I'm also kind of surprised that it's like one of those sort of more serious ones and it made it so high onto our list but like I, I love the use of subtitles and the way that they have those parallel conversations where they're they're not speaking each other's languages but they also are speaking the same language and it is the language of love actually and it's also just such real estate and travel porn oh a hundred percent he gets his heart broken so he gets to like just go to France and live in this Spanish style little house writing his novel by a lake eating croissants like this is exactly what i want in life i just want to be in a little spanish house near a lake with colin firth eating croissants yeah and i thought that his proposal to her was really sweet even though again it's christmas so i just thought i'd ask was kind of stupid he obviously their attraction is kind of built on like physical attraction but there's a there's there's like a frisson there there's a it's it's more than that yeah yeah they really want to communicate with each other and you see him attending classes at the language school to learn portuguese and Mm -hmm. then he he does his wonderful little 
kind of not perfect little proposal to her in her yeah. native tongue and then she answers in English because she learned I it know too. it's like the gift of the magi or Greece it's like they're the only ones who like who, who you know the fact that they both learned each other's languages they're the only ones who really like I believe in their love so much because they actually made a real effort and a real sacrifice everyone else is sort of like oh you're cute let's let's do something about it or I'm gonna fire you and you're gonna forgive me and love me anyway like there's there's a lot of really problematic stuff. Um, I have read some some articles in going through this movie's many sins as far as gender dynamics, and they point out that, you know, he is her employer. But I don't find it problematic in this case because, first of all, he's only temporarily her employer. She has a job outside of him. He doesn't hold that much power over her, and neither of them act on their feelings while she is working for him. There's such a sweet restraint on both of their parts, and I love that their feelings are... Not really unspoken, but I guess untranslated until the end. But there is something, it's like you said, there's like a sort of, like a, this sounds so cheesy, but like a soul connection because they are saying the same things. They just don't know it. And it's it's, a, it's adorable. This is such a sweet, such a sweet story. Plus, on her last day of employment, she kisses him. Yes. She full on goes in for the kiss on him. He does not decide, oh, this is the moment I sweep her off her feet. She goes for it and runs away and he does not chase her. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm going to learn her language and I'm going to just do this yeah. coolly. Yeah, it's like all mm -hmm. the, the delayed gratification and like they, they're both in it for the long haul. Like that is a commitment to yeah. learn a language as an adult. I don't know if you guys have tried that. It's fucking hard. I'm, I'm very impressed by them. And, uh, and oh, I think that maybe the most romantic lines in this are, it's my favorite part of the day, driving you. It's the saddest part of my day, leaving you. Right, oh, it's, Stephanie is making a face like she's going to start crying and flapping her hands like she's giving jazz hands. <laughs> Colin Firth is also just, I don't know. He's, he's someone that I might forget about for a little while, and then I see him and I'm like, perfect person. Like, it just, something overwhelms yeah, me. I'm like, look at I you. Look at you. You shouldn't be allowed. Shouldn't be allowed to be walking around looking like that in that turtleneck sweater. Mm. <laughs> uh, okay, wait. Before we go to what I know is our shared number one, he he. Uh, oh my gosh, he's he's number one in our list, just like he's number one in the song. Didn't even realize that. That's so great. Yay, Billy Mac. I was just gonna say. If we actually did a proper fuck, Mary kill of this movie, it could probably take us like a whole two hours. But I just had an idea, which is just like rapid fire. Pick three people from this movie to kill, three people to fuck, and three people to marry. Go. Oh, God. Okay, I'm going to kill Mark. Yes, me too. I'm going to kill Mia. Yes. I'm going to also kill... What's Alan Rickman's name? Harry? Okay, you're allowed. <laughs> or do I kill... Well... I don't know if I'm going to kill Harry or if I'm going to kill Hugh Grant or the president or I don't know. Dude, if you kill if you kill the prime minister or the president, like you will definitely go to jail and or die. Like that's that's a little harder to get away with. Who would your third be? You said yes to both of those. Yeah, oh, well definitely Mark and Mia are like obviously the worst people. I mean, if I could just like snap my fingers and kill someone, I guess it would be the American president, but um Yeah. But like I think maybe Sarah because what does she have to live for? I was toying with the idea of that as well, but that's just such a sad existence. Let's kill her. Let's just kill right, her anyway. Yeah. And then I'm going to marry Colin Firth. 100%. Do I have to marry two more? Yeah. That's oh, the then game. I would marry Colin Firth and Aurelia. Ooh, nice. Thrupple. And Liam Neeson. 
oh, you know, I I don't know if I want to shag him because he cries all the time. So, <laughs> no, um, <laughs> I, I thought about Liam Neeson, but I also was like, oh, but he's grieving. I don't want to be a rebound. I don't want to be a stepmom. But for me, definitely marry Jamie. Um, I would I would marry John, the, the body double. I, I find him adorable. And, um, ooh, who else? Who else? Uh, yeah, maybe maybe I would have to pick Daniel as well. And then I'm going to fuck uh, David the Prime Minister, Harry, because it's Alan Rickman, even though his character is terrible. And, um, ooh, Peter. Yeah? Oh, yeah, there's Peter. Are you are you going to fuck Rufus? You're definitely going to fuck Rufus. He's number one, right? Okay, um, I'm changing one of the answers to Peter and leaving the two as they are, and you're going to make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, is it the president? <laughs> I am not going to fuck the president. Thank God. <laughs> But I, I am going to fuck Peter, Rufus, and Billy Mac. Smart, okay. But you know what? He's my favorite person. He's my favorite person, yes. Actually, he, he and Joe are both my favorite people, which is why their love is forever. They're bro-TP. <laughs> I have to say, second to the Colin Firth plotline, that scene where Billy Mac leaves Elton John's party and goes back to his manager's house to profess his platonic love for him. It's the most romantic thing in the whole movie. It is. By miles. It is. Oh my god, yeah. Bill Nye and what's his name? Gregor Fisher, is that his name? Yes. Yeah, they're so perfect. And almost all of the best lines in this movie belong to Billy Mac. And those that don't belong to him belong to Joe. I think that my favorite line is the, I had an epiphany about Christmas. You realized it was all around. That's my favorite. It makes me laugh every single time. And what is it? 10 minutes at Elton John's and yes, that's my other. Maypole. Yeah. Well, this is a surprise. Yeah, it's so, oh, their love is so real. It's it's the truest love. Theirs is the relationship that has the most history and that has lasted the longest before the start of the movie and I believe mm-hmm. will last the longest for the rest of their lives. I love it so much. And let's get pissed and watch porn. What a great, what a great Christmas. Yeah. I'm so happy And, and just the, it might be that the people that I love is in fact fact, you you (laughs) yeah it's so sweet and that is one way in which i get the christmas love connection because there's a lot of sort of tenuous connections where it's like oh at christmas you tell the truth oh christmas is when you should be hooking up with co-workers it's there's a lot of sort of weird stretches and justifications but for that like christmas is the time to be with the people that you love and i guess that yeah he he is the only other person besides um jamie and aurelia who makes a sacrifice for love yeah he gets what he thought he wanted and then he realized that what he really wanted was right underneath his nose all along it's the classic love story mm-hmm. oh my god it's so sweet and you're really you're really rooting for him to get the number one hit song on christmas oh yeah because he deserves it oh yeah <laughs> even though it's a terrible song but well but again just all of the musical sequences in this movie are always the best and this whole plot line like there there's not a single flaw in it it is just pure non-stop delight every moment that bill nye is on screen is magic and their relationship is so perfect and uh when I was watching this with my mom last weekend, something that she said was that, you know, after the the little airport introduction, when, you know, you see him recording and he keeps saying love instead of Christmas and he curses and it's hilarious. But then like once they get into a groove, like he's he's dancing in his chair and Joe's also dancing behind the glass. And my mom says, look, they're dancing together. It's the first thing that you see. <laughs> I know. Isn't that sweet? That is so sweet. Yeah. Oh, man. Bill Nye is just so good in this movie. I don't even know. 
What was it your dad said I was, about... Yeah. Okay, so I have... Oh, I wonder if I actually have this saved. My, my voicemail, if you ever try to call me, is always full because my dad and other people keep leaving me delightful messages that I don't want to get rid of. And my oldest voicemail is from 2013 when the movie About Time came out, which might be my favorite Richard Curtis movie. I, I think it's it's a tough call. But, uh, but my dad was just like on a walk and he called me and he left me a message and said, Hey, kiddo, it's your dad. Just out for a walk on a Sunday morning. Um... So let me ask you this. How can Bill Nighy play a stoned out, drugged out rock star and a college professor who's retired and do both of them exactly the same way, even though they're such different characters and be winning in both? What's that? Anyway, love you. Bye. <laughs> And he's so true. So cute and so true. He's he's such a chameleon, and yet not. It's more like the rest of the world changes around him to match him. It's perfect. Yeah, so good. Well, I think that we have said all that we've set out to say about love, actually. I've had a wonderful time. I hope that you have too, Kaylee. I think you have. Oh, I've loved it, actually. <laughs> maybe, maybe next year we can begin our next Christmas special by actually revealing the amount of actuallys found in in love actually if, oh. if you would like to go ahead and lead the charge on counting oh wait you know what i didn't i, nominate I didn't you. count but i did make a list and actually i'm glad actually i'm glad that you did remind me of that because i think i only said a couple of them but i so okay so david the prime minister says love actually is all around and then jack says he introduced me as john but actually everyone calls me jack he also says, it's lovely to find someone I can actually chat to. That's when they're first starting to fall in love. Sam says, the truth is, actually, I'm in love. Natalie says, I've just split up with my boyfriend, actually. Slash, not a nice guy, actually, in the end. Mark, actually, they're not funny, they're art. Pfft. Mark, actually, I was being serious. I don't know where it is. He's lying about the wedding video, you guys. Carl, actually, I don't have to go when they're about to bang, but then it gets interrupted. Um, do, 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 do. Karen, actually, do you mind if I just absent myself for a second? All that ice cream. She's lying. Uh, Judy, I'd better be getting inside, actually. Postponing the sex that will happen, presumably, after they're engaged. Jamie, oh, this is a great one. It's lovely to see you all, and, uh, I'm off, actually. And that's <laughs> my fate, Uncle Jamie! And then, uh, and then, of course, Natalie, I'm actually yours in the uh in the little christmas card so that is most of the most of the plot points and i may have missed out some because honestly i i watched it when i was at work with the subtitles on just to keep count of the actuallys but then i would just get lost in the movie and forget to keep track so but look at you go that's fantastic actually thank you well we are going to be back next year with an all new season of anglophilia we've got our lineup all lined up yes. so we've got some serious binge watching to do in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can shoot us an email, anglophiliapodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, at anglopodcast. Yes. And you can find us on Facebook by searching anglophilia. And if you go to iTunes, since Christmas is the time when people leave five-star ratings and reviews, it would be so nice if you would give us the gift of your kind words or a simple click, because... Uh, Really, we, we do read all of them. There are very few. I think all of the reviews are currently people that I know. So it would be nice to get a nice review from a stranger. Actually. Actually. Yes. Yes. All right. Anyway, well, happy holidays. Happy, happy holidays. New year. Happy New Year. We'll be talking to you soon. Steph. Yeah. Let's get pissed and watch porn. Done. <laughs>